Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the November 6, 2022 session, focusing on Job chapter 19, verses 23 through 27, in pursuit of justice. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Burt Montgomery. And I'm Daniel Glaze. When I was, uh, when we had kids at home, our kids are grown now, we tried to, we tried to raise them not, not only as good people, but also with a sense, you know, of responsibility about the kind of world that they were going to be part of creating and living in. And, and so when it, as they approached the age where they were able to start voting, those conversations continued because it was, it was taught, at least in our household, that, you know, voting not only is a duty, it's part of the way we get to directly shape the kind of world we live in, the kind of world our neighbors live in, the way the rules are set for how we get along with each other. It's, it's pretty important stuff. Um, and I think it's it's so easy for us to get drawn into partisan fights and bickering and other kinds of ancillary conversation when at the end of the day, it really is about the kind of world we want to live in. And to be able to have a voice in that, a say in that, it's that's pretty special. So, yes, I'm on my high horse today and on my soapbox in whatever races or amendments or whatever whatever is on the ballot that you're going to be looking at in a couple of days, I hope that you will think about that before you go and be prepared. But think about it, not just how does this affect me or my pocketbook, but to think about it in that bigger, that bigger scenario of what kind of world do I want to live in? What kind of world do I want my son, my daughter to live in? Because it's important. This is an important time in history. And we can say all times are, but it feels like there are a lot of things in motion. And the world sometimes feels like it could move in one direction or another. I'm going to do my part this week, and I hope you will too, to try to nudge things along in a way that I think God would hope for us to do for one another. So vote. Go out and vote. Tell your neighbors to vote. Tell your kids to vote if they're old enough. Go vote. (laughs) Go vote. (laughs) All right. Sermon over. Uh, We, so this is weird. um, But the way things fell, you know, we've been in Luke for several weeks. Now we're shifting to Job and we're going to be in Job for one week. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, Daniel, you've got a really interesting task before you because Job's not a simple book uh, to engage. So, I, I sorry. <laughs> well, that's that's all right. It's just the cross I bear, I guess. But that's okay. Um, so, as David mentioned, we're just taking a one-week trip uh, here in the middle of the book of Job. So, perhaps it's appropriate to revisit some introductory comments I made when we studied Job around this time last year. Job is a complex story, and there are larger biblical stories that the narrator of Job seems to be in conversation with, so to speak. That is, this story seems to be in conversation with, or rather presenting a counter-narrative to, the simplistic view that 
if we obey God, then we will be blessed. If we do not obey God, we will be cursed. The book of Job seems to say, in essence, not so fast. This idea of divine reward and punishment, Job pushes back on that by calling it theologically troublesome. That's not to say that Job isn't theologically troublesome as well, but I guess that's another conversation. We learn that Job is a righteous man at the beginning of the story. And one day the heavenly beings come to God for a sort of heavenly staff meeting. In this meeting, God offers up Job to the Satan. By the way, Satan here is not a person, not the devil, not a personification of evil, not a man in a red suit with a pitchfork, but rather an office, a position. Anyway, God offers up Job to the Satan in a sort of heavenly wager. Satan, Satan thinks he can get Job to curse God, while God is sure that Job will remain steadfast and faithful. This idea of bad things happening to good people that we find in Job, it violates our spirit of the way the world is supposed to work. This idea that Satan visits all of these terrible things upon Job, apparently with God's permission, just isn't supposed to happen. Good things are supposed to happen to good people. We love rags to riches stories, not the riches to rags stories. It just doesn't seem right. Job also calls us, causes us to ask a very personal question of ourselves. It's a simple one with not so simple an answer. If my life truly fell apart, and I don't mean just having a bad day or breaking my arm or losing a loved one, as tragic as those things are, and I'm not being insensitive to them, but if everything in my life fell apart, would I continue to trust in God? I'd love to answer with a resounding yes, but the truth is, I don't know. I hope so, but I don't know. That's a very quick primer on the book of Job, and I realize I left a whole lot out. Today's passage comes from Job 19, and if it sounds familiar, then you're probably thinking about Handel's Messiah, because there's a beautiful soprano aria which proclaims, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. But let's look at the context for these words of Job. Let me read the passage for us. It's only five verses. Oh, that my words were written down, and this is Job talking. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Well, they are inscribed in a book, Job, but I'll, we'll come back to that. Oh, that with an iron pen and with lead they were engraved on a rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, then in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see on my side, and my eyes shall behold and, and not another. My heart faints within me. So even though Job is not exactly speaking with God, he is asking something of God. It seems to me that Job wants justice. He wants to hear an explanation to what has happened to him. He believes that he does not deserve the suffering he's experienced, and we know he has a point. We know that he's a righteous man. Job seems to want a hearing with God. He wants his day in court, so to speak, and he is confident that his Redeemer, 
an advocate or arbiter, will stand alongside him in his heavenly deposition and mediate this dispute between him and God. And this advocate will swear that Job is innocent. Job wants vindication against the injustice visited upon him. It reminds me of a rather moving poem entitled Prevail by the poet Jessica Romero. Those who are never accused do not realize how it changes you. Even if exonerated, you are never really accused. You are never really excused, excuse me, like the loss of the victim you have lost too. The ache and the pain never end, even when freedom is gained. The support and prayers help you mend, but somewhere the hurt still remains. We think of our justice system as being fair and right. When jurors go home, it's over for them. The innocent are left in the dark of the night. Away from your loved ones, all you can hope for is that one day you won't have to fight. That you will finally get to see the sun. Time lost, you can never get back. Let your hopes and dreams never fail. Don't give up, you cannot crack. Always believe the truth will prevail. Like this poet, Job clings to hope in the midst of despair, even as he accuses God. And lest we see this as utter unfaithfulness, I am reminded what George MacDonald once wrote. Complaint against God is far nearer to God than indifference about him. In other words, arguing with God is built upon the understanding and belief that God is there, that God listens, and that God cares enough to argue with us. In this passage, Job says, After my skin has been destroyed, then in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see on my side. Strangely enough, this is exactly how God shows up at the end of the book of Job. In the last chapter, we read God speaking to Job. My ears have heard you, and my eyes see you. And that causes Job to settle the case with God. Perhaps that is because there is no rational defense as to why Job suffers so. Maybe Job just wants to know that God is there and that God sees him. Maybe the presence of God is answer enough. And that's some background on our text for today. That was no simple passage uh, to write about <laughs> um, and to gather the background. And thank you for reminding us of our context. I love the book of Job. It is, it's one of my favorites. And I think it's because of the conversation that's happening in the book about does God let bad things happen to good people. Um, because we know that there is a traditional theology within the biblical scripture that was prominent, which you talked about, which is that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. Um, but Job's very life shows us differently. And what I really love is that even in these words, 
Job holds fast to faith. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know. Job holds on to that um, like it's a lifeboat um, in a vast ocean. And it's even at this moment, the moment where, you know, Job seems to speak out against God, I guess, that he even here, he remains faithful. Um, I will say one more thing that while you were talking, I actually thought about Jacob and how Jacob wrestled with God. Um, And in that moment, there was a sense that Jacob demanded this confrontation. There was a, um, once, I mean, once God showed up to wrestle, however you interpret the passage, uh, Jacob insists on striving with God, um, which is what Jacob's name means. You have striven with God um, and with man. And I think that the story of Job is another example of striving with God. And I think that uh, that's something that's held up in scripture for us as, as a valid part of our faith journey. That's, that's really interesting, Nikki. So, so Job seems to be asking of God justice, but it's, it causes me to ask what, what does justice look like? Mm-hmm. I mean, because it, it, it seems to be Job saying, and, and it's, as another aside, Job doesn't seem to be angry with God right here, even though he certainly would be justified in that. Sure. He just says, I, I am innocent, and one day you're going to see it, God. Yeah. My Redeemer, my advocate, my defense attorney is is going to is going to prove this because you know the way we often think about justice as in the book of Job is we you know Job loses all of his stuff and his family and at the end he gets his stuff back and another family well yeah you can get your stuff back but what kind of justice is it to have some sort of substitute family there is no justice to no, be had. You can't. Absolutely. It's justice is impossible at this point. Yes, absolutely. And and so uh, that, that's that's exactly right. And so what I think Job wants from God is what what is possible here, which is can you give me my good name back and let me see you and you see me. Mm-hmm. That's that's I think the only kind of justice that is possible. And I, I hate to call that justice, but but no. that seems to be what what Job has said, you know what? You've taken every I've lost everything. Let me at least have this. It, no, I think you're right. I think it is the only justice that's available. And that's a restored relationship between Job and God. And and so so that as an act of justice I think is possible. Um, it's not all that Job wants back, obviously. Um, but no, I think that all throughout the book, Job is never willing to disconnect from God. Hmm. 
throughout the, you know, his friends mm-hmm. tell him to curse God and die. And his wife tells him, why do you persist here? And Job holds tight. Job wants to stay connected in that relationship. If if I can step out of the, the specific emphasis on on the person of Job and back out a little bit more into the, the larger story and its historical context of of a time in Jewish literature that y'all have already mentioned. It's countering a, a Jewish tradition that had built on, you know, um, good things happen to good people, bad. Therefore, if I see you succeeding, obviously you're a good person blessed by God. And right. if I see you suffering, obviously you're a horrible person and you deserve what's happening to you. God is That's cursing right. you. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. We cover this. It, this is one of my favorite periods of the semester in my intro to religion classes. Every single semester, we get to the chapter on theodicy or the problem of evil. Why is there mm-hmm. suffering? And we always end up at some point talking a little bit about Job and how it starts with God and the adversary kind of having this, you know, it's like they're sitting down over a, a chess table, chessboard, having coffee mm-hmm. and, um, you know, say, Hey, you know, who's the best guy you got? I could, you know, they only love you because of this, that, and the other. No, no. And so God gives them permission, like putting Job on the game board to let the adversary, Satan do whatever. Uh, and we're going to, you know, he's just a pawn in the game just between this in the start of the story. And, um, but I always use, and this is, I mean, I know y'all think I'm crazy at this point, but to <laughs> me, the, the second in the Christopher Knight Batman trilogy, The Dark Knight with um, Heath Ledger as, as the Joker, always gets to this because the Joker takes – the whole story is about meaning and about purpose and about goodness and that you could strip away why people hold on to mer- purpose and hold on to meaning until they have no reason to believe in it anymore. And that's what the Joker wants to do. He and there's a line. He says, "I've taken the best of us, Gotham's White Knight, uh, the the Attorney General, uh, District Attorney Harvey Dent, and he stripped him down, took away every reason he had to believe in good, every reason he had to keep fighting for good, until he became a monster. I took the best you had, and I stripped away until he was a monster." And he had no reason to believe in meaning and purpose and in goodness in anymore. Uh, and he, you have this moment with Harvey Dent saying that I have no reason to believe in this anymore. And I pause that when they say, I'm, I took the best we had and I stripped away. I said, this is, this is the adversary at the beginning of Job, stripping away, stripping away. Unlike the adversary, <laughs> I mean, unlike Job, uh, Harvey Dent is, does become a monster. But right? That's the story of Job. He's going to find meaning even when there is no reason and nothing adds up anymore. Uh, And there's a phrase in in religion circles, academia, um, the appeal to the sovereignty. I appeal to something greater than I don't understand it. And what does Job do? He throws his hands up, shrugs his shoulders and says, eh, God is God and I'm not. You know, the Lord giveth, the Lord giveth, taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's no explanation to it. 
And um, I think there's, I, I love this when we, I lo- just love all of this stuff about the larger search for meaning. And you talked about holding on to God and not giving up his commitment. Even he's going to argue with God and this and the other, he somehow manages. And, and that ties in with uh, Victor Frankl, the search for meaning, that people can strip away, life can strip away, circumstances, structures can strip away from us and take everything from us. And this is a man who educated man who was who uh, was a child in the, the concentration camps, right? Strip everything away, take everything away, except for one thing: how you choose to respond in that moment. And Job chooses to respond: "I'm still going to trust in God, even though it doesn't make any sense. I can choose goodness. I can, you know." So there's all that stuff. I'm going to shut up, but I get passionate about this. I love this big search for meaning, existential stuff that Job brings into it. So I, I don't know if, if all of you have seen Fiddler on the Roof. The I mean, it, it was a stage play, but also uh, a, a movie. It, and it's one of my favorites. And I, I it's the story, in case you haven't seen it, it it's the story of a, a, a Jewish community that's caught up in, in the time of Russia and the czars. They were being oppressed and lived in poverty. Uh, and in fear of their lives often. And it's the story of, of this community, and in particular, a family in that community. And uh, the father, Tevya, is is one of the main characters and kind of plays the role of the narrator uh, through the film. And he has this amazing faith uh, because throughout the film, you, you see incredibly awful things happen to him and his family and his neighbors and his friends and and the world and through it all he's talking to god and he's pretty direct i mean he he does he doesn't he's not polite or pulling any punches he'll he'll go you know i I know i know we're we're where are your chosen people but once in a while can't you choose someone else (laughs) (laughs) he'd say he'd say i think i think when it gets too quiet up there you say to yourself what kind of mischief can I play on my friend Tevye? <laughs> uh, and he says, I, I may sound like I'm complaining, but I'm not. After all, with your help, I'm starving to death. <laughs> and on and on. It, it, the movie is full of these. What what was the line about a rich man? Uh, Bert? Would it, it, wasn't it something like in the song, if I were a rich man, would it spoil some grand divine plan if I were a wealthy man? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Something like that. And, and we chuckle because it's, I'll be honest. I mean, that's not how I pray. There's a, there's a boldness and an intimacy there to speak to God plainly, but there's also this, persistence that in spite of the horrible things that happen to him and his family and his community, his faith in God does not, he doesn't give it up. It's there. It's just, it's part of who he is and how he lives. And as Bert said, how he chooses to live. If you haven't seen the film, it's wonderful music. It's it's a good one to watch. But to me, I think of the book of Job when I when I watch that. We we've made this one pit stop in the book of Job uh, in our journey. May it be a good one for us, a reminder that as as 
life can and will throw us evil, often that we do not deserve, that we will remain steadfast in our faith in God. And it just as importantly, and maybe more so, that when we see bad things happen to others, we won't just assume that they deserve it somehow. Mm. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.